Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who like to use a lot of words, yet say nothing at all. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's episode number 422 for January 15th, 2018. On today's show, we're talking about workbench lumber, what's the deal with breadboards, and tool storage. Now let's get right into the good stuff here. We've got some voicemails. And the first one is from Steve, who seems to know what we don't like, but gives it to us anyway. (laughs) <laughs> Mark, Matt, and Shannon. This is Steve from Billings, Montana. Longtime listener, guild member. I don't think you've taken many of these questions lately and don't even like them. But my wonderful wife has generously offered to get me a bandsaw for Christmas. I've been woodworking for quite a few years, but without a bandsaw. So I'm not looking at my age, which is mid-60s, to buy an entrance, entrance-level bandsaw and then maybe trade up over the years, kind of past that stage in life or age in life. So I'm looking for a one-time purchase, something that'll last me for the rest of my life, something that's good, um, and I can probably afford over a thousand bucks. So what would you recommend that I look for and search for, and even if you could recommend model, brand, or whatever? I know sometimes you like to stay away from that, and tool buying has never been one of the joys of your show. But uh, I would sure love to know, and Christmas time is awesome, and I love my wonderful wife. But I, I love you guys too. But I love my wife more than you. Thanks for any advice <laughs> you can give. God bless you. Bye bye. Yeah, no surprises there. That was going to get real awkward real fast. Yeah, yeah. the other way with that. <laughs> okay, so uh, he's looking for bandsaw recommendation. You guys know how much we love this because I mean, unless we happen to be in the market for that same tool at this particular time, there's a good chance we aren't even familiar with exactly what's out there and what price right. ranges those are in and and how well they're being reviewed. So how big of a size you want and over a thousand dollars is very, you know, that's fine. But how far over? I mean, you can right. get like a really nice 14 inch saw or you can get like a, 
I don't know, normal 19 inch or something saw I mean, in that thousand, 2000 range, you yeah. know, it's like, where do you want to be? Plenty of people get away with a yeah. 14 inch saw, but if this is your last saw and you're building fairly large pieces of furniture at some point, you may want something a little bit bigger. Or if you're maybe going to do veneer and resaw your own stuff, you might want something larger. I mean, I'll just right out of the gate, recommend the PM 1500. That's what I use. It's a $3,000 saw though. I don't know if, if over a thousand dollars means 3000. Technically, it does qualify. Does it's in the range? It is over a thousand. <laughs> I mean, he gave us he gave us a no upper limit. So the PM fifteen hundred is great, and it's you know it's not huge. It's not a huge uh, footprint, but it is powerful and it does uh, give you quite a bit of clearance for larger pieces. So uh, that that that's going to be my recommendation. I don't know how useful that is. Yeah, I mean, I, I know, um, like when I bought my planer. Uh, I was in the same boat. It's like, I'm not going to buy another planer. I don't use power tools enough. I know exactly what I'm going to use this for. So I'm going to go big or just go home. And I bought the 20 inch planer in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, you know, as the, as the years wear on, as I get more feeble, um, I'm probably going to want to bring a bandsaw into the shop to help with some of the ripping and resawing and stuff like that. And I know that when that time comes, I'm going to be in the same boat. I'm not going to want to buy something that I'm going to have to upgrade later. I'm going to go big or go home. And I always thought it would be a 20 inch at least um, just to allow, you know, that that vertical capacity, but also just the horsepower to pretty much do anything I could throw at it. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, and this is several years ago, and it was never really serious because I wasn't really planning on doing this anytime soon. But I, I discovered that there's there's only a couple of features, really. When you're talking about a bandsaw, you're talking, a, you know, about um, the, the the motor, certainly, you know, how powerful is the motor? You're talking about the, the clearance and the size of the table, kind of what kind of real estate are you working with? And looking at um, the wheels, are they are they cast iron wheels? Are they pressed um, aluminum? They don't use aluminum, do they? Is it aluminum? Whatever. Sure. It's cast iron, you know, big, heavy cast iron wheels are always a good thing. Um, and uh, everything else was kind of like creature comforts. Like what kind of guide bush bearings does it have? You know, what what kind of fence does it have? And what you end up finding is a lot of that stuff ends up being the same because so many of these companies now I think are I've just recognized that woodworkers are gonna go with aftermarket solutions. There's so many cool aftermarket solutions. So why bother to compete, right? And they just put like the base models, like the blade that comes through their table saw. Everyone knows you're probably gonna swap it out and put something, you know, better into it. So I think it can be difficult. You can get really distracted by all the little bells and whistles and you, you really have to have a good understanding of how you plan to use this saw. You know, if you're going to use a bunch of resawing, that's a different thing. If you're going to use it for just like curve cutting and maybe occasional like rip cuts, that's a different saw altogether. And you may not need that gigantic 20 inch saw footprint when you can get away with a really nice 14 inch saw. Mm -hmm. I think that's why you find like, Mark, don't you, do you still have two? I do. Yeah, you have a 14-inch. I really shouldn't. Bigger, right? I mean, I don't really have the space to justify it, but but I like <laughs> it. I, I do not like having to swap out bandsaw blades <laughs> that frequently. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I the 14-inch saw is kind of like, not to put a hand tool nomenclature on it, it's just like the jack saw. You know, it, it's, the, it's the good all-around bandsaw that can be used for a wide variety of stuff. Most of us put a thinner blade on it and use it for curve cutting. You know, and then you have to do a resaw, and you're like, "Oh, I hate swapping out blades." Mm-hmm. So then you start thinking, "Well, one day I'm going to buy a bigger saw for resawing, right. have a dedicated resawing saw." So uh, you know, 
there's a reason we don't do this because there's so many questions we don't have answers to to yep. be able to make a recommendation. It's really tough, but it does give us a reason to talk for 10 minutes. So that's good. Yeah. So there you go. We appreciate that. Okay. Well, um, you guys talk for two minutes and I talk for eight. That's right. That's the, oh. that's par for the course. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got a question here from Paul drum sanders versus planers. Hello, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. After listening to episode 418, I understand the show provides financial advice. I have some extra cash lying around after buying some Festool equipment. It wasn't as expensive as I thought it was going to be. Ah. I thought it would be a good idea to invest my hard-earned cash into the very companies that I spend so much money buying woodworking tools. That way, I could get some type of return because my woodworking skills just suck. Could you demystify the conglomerates of the most popular woodworking companies? I think the gold standard owns the grizzly bears. If you own a cordless drill, it's probably owned by TTI or Stanley. I just get lost in all the big companies, and I'm sure your woodworking experience, maybe not Matt's, could easily answer this question. I could probably answer my own question by spending 5 to 15 minutes Googling it, but I wanted to forward the question to you fellas so you have something to do and don't quit. Now, for a real woodworking question... Do you think a drum sander provides enough benefit over a planer to justify the cost? I think material right off the planer is close enough to smooth enough. Or does a drum sander bring your woodworking skills to the next level of a fine woodworker? If you're looking for some year-end tax advice, I am a CPA, and to limit your tax exposure, I would recommend you should defer all commission work until the next year and accelerate the purchase of new woodworking tools. Doing so, you will spend your way out of student loan debt in no time. Thanks for fielding my questions and happy woodworking. I love it. Paul's a resident comedian here. Uh, uh, good stuff. Okay. <clears throat> so what the hell did he Who ask? says accountants don't have senses of humor? Huh? Come on. That one does. Okay. So um, drum sander. Uh, I know uh, for, for Matt, do you even have a drum sander? Yeah, I have a drum sander. Okay. I don't watch your videos. So what do I know? <laughs> I know you don't. So whatever. I have a drum Matt's, sander. Matt's got attitude. You know what I do? Here's what I do. Matt sends me uh, one of the videos, and there's a whole format thing. It's stupid because he uses Adobe, and I use Final Cut, and I have to do a conversion. But anyway, so I do have to write a little blurb about it when I when I send the video out to the public. And you know how I watch them? I put them on. You can on a, on a Mac. You can go to 1.9 speed on any video and still hear the audio, right? If you go to any higher than that, you don't hear the audio. So I go to 1.9 and I do something else while that's playing. So I could just get the gist of what's happening, but I'm not actually watching the video. <laughs> so I don't know what match shop looks like. It's yeah, I'm clueless. Or, or what I'm teaching the guild students. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, right. I, I have faith. I have faith Based on screen. Audibly, you know what I'm saying, but <laughs> yeah. on screen I could be doing anything. You could just be standing there naked, shaking your, what what your mama gave you. Okay, so we're talking about drum sanders and planers. Um, what what would you say to this, Matt? Uh, it depends what you do. I, I hate these tool questions. Yeah. Really, it depends on on what you do. So I'm, I honestly don't use my drum sander like a whole lot. When I first got it, I was like, this is like the best thing ever since sliced bread and other things that are awesome that have the same equivalence semantic thing to slice bread being awesome prepackaged because, I think because there we go see you're, you got me okay i think because it's such a novelty item that you're like oh i can do all this thing i can sand all these things whenever i want i could i used to like put things to there like to plane them i'm like that doesn't make any sense but i had a drum center i might as well do it but honestly with the 
the power of the drum sanders we can buy like as a hobbyist or like in small shops like that, they don't have enough power to actually surface things in any like reasonable amount of time. Mm-hmm. So even that's not really that good of a use case. What I use mine for most now is for making thinner stock, for making like, I don't know, eighth inch, I'll call it air quotes, veneer or thin stuff like that, uh, standing thin strips, things like that. Uh, when I did anyway in cutting boards, I used them to, I used the drum sander to kind of flatten those and smooth those out to save me some time with the sander. Uh, but even that took way too long. And my biggest like hate about the drum sanders is that their motors are so small and they can't handle the amount of load that would be required to actually use it as a surfacing tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be a killer thing. So and if someday you you'll see with the, whale, with the with white it, belt. You- You've got to you've got to um, lower your grits if you're doing any surfacing. So then you're ending up with a super rough surface anyway. Yeah, and you're like and that's hey, what I... we do at the yard. If we need to remove like graying from like sun exposure, yeah. we'll put on like an 80 grit belt and run it through um, with a with a heavier cut, and then we have to run it through again at you know 120 or 180 to get the smooth surface. So it, um, it's a it's a different action altogether. On this thing, like I have a 36 grit belt. Which you need to do that if you actually want to service something with 36 grit. You know what kind of like marks that leaves? You're like, and it's it's, <laughs> it's like, like running it's it across ridiculous. the pavement. I might as well go outside and just run it around on the on the driveway and run it over with it. your car. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'll flatten you out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing. If you want to progress through the grits, you know, and you're using it for surfacing, and and then you want the benefit of of okay, it's going to save me time sanding. Then you're changing belts during that time. That's a pain. I mean, talk about bandsaws being a pain in the butt to change the blade. It's also a pain in the butt to change the the grit on uh, you know one of these um, like you said, the s- standard ones that we have access to. Um, so that's not a great idea either. I mean, for me, I basically keep a higher level grit in there. I use it as a finishing tool. I do use it for very thin stock, so surfacing technically. But if I'm doing thin stock, it's usually a couple of strips, so I don't mind if I have to take 10 or 15 passes to get it where I want it to be. Uh, But typically, if I keep like 180 grit or 220 grit in there, I can use that as my last pass on just about anything. After I'm done with the planer, it's really, really close to my final dimension, and I'll just finish it off in the drum sander. And I find that that gives me a surface that needs a lot less work at the workbench uh, when I'm done prior to finishing. So I do use it quite frequently, but I wouldn't call it a necessity, and I don't think it's really going to make you a better woodworker. Um, There's just going to be times when it will be a convenience thing, and it, it will make life easier, but definitely not what I would call a necessity. All right. So we got some co-answer email questions here uh, that we'll just kind of chit-chat about. We'll have a little chitty chat. Right. I like these. Yeah. All right. So Jeremy wrote in. He said, so here's the deal. I own mostly power tools, and I'm thinking I want to work more toward Mark's hybrid woodworking approach. I, I kind of – I got to tell you guys. I kind of like the fact <laughs> that using hand tools and power tools, some people see it as my thing. Like like I invented it. You basically did. <laughs> No one ever used it. Never, both no one ever did it be- once. before 2000. What year was that? 2014, 2015. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, but I think the first thing I need to I need is a good workbench instead of the shaky plywood and two by four piles of rehydrated dog turds that I have now. I love that description. Should I build a Rubo out of pine or go with a good hardwood? Uh, what did you guys build yours out of? Keep up the great work. Happy New Year. I'm sure I'll send some more questions as I get closer to buying sharpening equipment and hand planes. Thanks. All right, so uh, I used um, soft maple for my Rubo, and then I dyed it 
dark brown recently. <laughs> <laughs> with rehydrated dog turds. Uh, with, yes, yeah, I used those dog, dog turds. I put them in water, rehydrated them, and spread them all over the bench. Uh, what, what, what do you, what's, I know, what, what do you have? Ash, um, Shannon? Yeah, mine's made out of ash. That's what I thought. <laughs> Mine is silver maple, which is soft maple or softer maple, not harder maple, like okay. we learned about in so, last year. It, it's interesting that he's, <laughs> yeah, right. I remember that conversation. Uh, or what? That one time, that, that one time Shannon was wrong. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It happened. So, I could have died a happy man right there. If you have the option, <laughs> right? Yeah, that that actually should have been the end of the show. Um, if you had the option to go with a decent hardwood over pine, is there a reason? And I'm a, you know, cost is obviously reason. Accessibility might be a reason. But he's saying, should I go with this or this? Is there any case that you would recommend pine for this? If if the other one is an option, that no. cost, I guess. Yeah, but but if if someone is saying I could use this or this, what would you recommend? I would assume cost has already been considered and that he could use a decent hardwood. Is there any good justification to go with pine? No, just think, cost. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, it's interesting because I'm, I'm usually a big proponent of build your workbench out of whatever wood you can get. Um, but when we're talking things like Rubo workbenches, I mean, I consider these to be like lifetime workbenches. Yeah. Unless you end up having multiple workbenches, you're not going to need to rebuild this one. Um, so do it right, man. I mean, are you going to build a high boy out of pine, Matt? Probably not. Oh, are you ever going to build I, a high boy ever he's again? He's never going to do it again, so it doesn't matter. Not in the guild, I'm not. That's for sure. I, I didn't even use pine for the secondary material. Right. So it's one of those things where, yes, it's just a workbench, but... It's not anymore. I mean, anybody who says it's just a workbench, no, I'm sorry. I mean, my Rubo is not just a workbench. It's the center of my shop. It's the thing I work on every single day. I love it to death. I do things to it when the camera's not on that you probably don't want to know about. So I'm glad that I used a really good high-quality hardwood. Is that why you you don't have three-quarter-inch dog holes on there and all your dog holes are bigger? I've often yeah, wanted I to go. go. I had to go with two-inch dog holes. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm, being, I'm being very generous and complimentary here. Actually, I may have just sold myself short there. Two inches. I don't. <laughs> we're not going to pull. Th- we're not going to do any measuring. I don't know. Oh. Anyway, the, the, <laughs> keep it so G-rated, boys. Min- How thick your, does your bench have to be for your dog to be effective? Uh, <laughs> crap. Uh, I think I think to amend the statement, build your bench out of whatever wood that you can you can readily get but i'd also say readily get and thicker cuts yes like not just eight quarter like especially if you're going to laminate up a workbench if you can get 12 quarter it's going to make your life so much easier Mm -hmm. um creating those legs are going to be so much easier if you're doing like big five by five legs it's just one one lamination instead of you know multiple boards coming together it just adds so much work and so much glue Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> the gallon and a half of tight bond two that I went through on my Rubo would have been cut down dramatically, and that was again one of the reasons that I went with ash is because I found a local sawmill not only that had it cheap but had twelve quarter ash just like coming out their ears. So the second half of my bench top is all done with twelve quarter, and I did it in like an afternoon as compared to the multiple days it took me to do the front half. So I, I don't know. I just think it's one of those things where. <clears throat> treat it like a piece of furniture and use a good quality wood, you know? Well, and it's also, it's generally going to be denser. It's going to be heavier. 
Uh, this is not just a piece of furniture or something pretty to look at. It's a functional piece that you, you're going to use as a tool in your shop. So the heavier, denser it is and more durable it is, the longer it's going to last. So you're going through all this trouble. Yeah, throw something decent into it. All right. Uh, next question we have here is from Robert. Somebody else want to read that one? Nope. I got to text Nicole here. <coughs> Come on, Matt. I'm working on it. I got to scroll. <laughs> I wasn't ready for this. Okay, it's from Robert. Hi, Mark. Learn to read. Someday I'll learn and I'll show you. Uh, <laughs> You'll get yours, Rogers. <laughs> uh, from Robert. Hi, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. I'm planning to build an indoor dining table for my family to be made from walnut, likely eight quarter through sixteen quarter stock, depending on what I can get my hands on. And roughly the style of the Guild Farmhouse table, a project I need to add to my library. Yeah. Do it. The table will be for indoor use, uh, two to three meals a day, and get some sun exposure close to a window, but won't be outside at all. I'm wondering if breadboard ends are really necessary or useful uh, for this table, and in general, when breadboard ends are very much worthwhile structurally as opposed to mainly for aesthetics. The show gets me through work many days, and I'm glad I can help keep it going on Patreon. Yes. Thank also, you. wow, and Jeez, my brain. As others have said before many times, thanks for not quitting. <laughs> I love that. I really lost at the end there. I'm sorry, Robert. <laughs> Clean out the cobwebs, Matt. <laughs> I was thinking, and then I was reading at the same time, and that didn't work. That I was, was the problem. I was yeah. thinking, <laughs> and then I stopped thinking. <laughs> so that multitasking thing. <laughs> thinking, reading, wow. and breathing. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot thinking, to worry about. I was thinking back to the pain I suffered when I was building a farmhouse table outside in the stupid rain all the time. Right. And, oh, good times. Oh, it was traumatic. Absolutely <laughs> traumatic. All right, buttercup, move on. Anyway. So my, my opinion on this is breadboard ends. going to do a whole lot of side aesthetics to be honest. So really? Yeah, really? I'm surprised yeah. by that. Now, now back, back that up with some facts, <laughs> Mr. Cremona. I have tables without them that don't have problems with cupping or right. whatever the heck they're supposed to prevent. Well said. <laughs> good enough and show <laughs> I think uh, oh, wow. I, I like breadboards as sort of a uh, insurance policy and I think yeah. as furniture and tabletops you know just as time goes on and things move uh, there is always a potential for cupping bowing twisting to occur and a lot of times the base structure prevents that from happening but in some cases it might not now outdoors it tends to be exaggerated because of the, the changes and conditions there. Um, so that's why it's a great idea to put them on outside. But I think if, if I were thinking in terms of longevity and I wanted to make sure that this tabletop stayed flat for as long as possible, the insurance policy to me is breadboard ends. And sometimes they don't aesthetically look the way I want them to look. So I purposely avoid doing them. Um, but I think breadboard ends, if flatness is a key concern in the long run, I actually think they, they do more than just look cool or, or look have a particular look to them they do provide some some you know flattening functionality although i disagree i'm disagreeing with matt here what do you think shannon i agree i mean just mechanically speaking they hold it flat um and they restrain the movement while not constricting the movement mm-hmm. so you can still expand and contract but 
they're holding it into that flat plane. So, I mean, I think from Matt's point is how are you attaching it to the base? Like maybe we're using battens underneath it anyway. You're attaching it to another structure underneath, which will do the same thing. But for me, like I'm always and maybe it's unfounded. And like Matt or like Mark just said, it's kind of that insurance policy. I'd rather be safe than sorry. But Mm -hmm. I worry about like especially if I'm using a larger slab, any kind of checking that may occur on the ingrain of the end of that table, Um, especially things like now when it's six degrees outside and the heat is just cranking in the house and there's absolutely no moisture anywhere, you know, um, things are going to start to open up. I've seen it here in my shop, like boards on, on my lumber rack that have started to check like crazy on the ends. Now, granted, they don't have finish on them. So that should help retard some of that, but just having that exposed ingrain on like a solid slab table or a thicker top, that would just worry me. Um, or possible D-lamb of a glue line, something like that, because of expansion and contraction. The breadboard, while it doesn't stop that, um, it covers it up, first of all, (laughs) but it does help restrict it a little bit. It adds a little bit of mechanical something on the end. It's it's belt and suspenders, frankly, you know, that really... So, yeah, if you have respect in your work... I think you put the breadboard on. <laughs> well, and and I think to to defend Matt a little bit, if you're, you're oh oh okay, here you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna oh, be a friend. Rogue agent, all right. Gonna be a friend now. If your material is well seasoned, if you are in a climate controlled home, generally speaking, uh, you know the wood a lot of times is going to behave more than it might in other conditions. So there's a good chance yeah. that it's not going to do anything, but it's wood and you know, things happen. So, you know, that's where the insurance policy thing comes in. I think a good finish will help, you know, with the slowing of the, the yeah. moisture as well. Oh, show. Right. You know, on, on your, on your point of Shannon, on your point of like the end grain checking thing, you know, yeah. the breadboard ends have end grain. So you could have the breadboard end check as well in that scenario. It's much less yeah, end grain, tiny little section of the breadboard that, you know, Depends on why'd you make that breadboard? You're really stretching now. I suppose. I, I'm not stretching, I'm just saying. <laughs> but most most self respecting people make their breadboards out of a quarter to a rift stock anyway. So yeah. you're probably not so gonna see a could, large amount of checking. Split there. Along this, uh, width, then. Mm, you have a uh, checking in the other direction. Because of the, the wider Pretty sure that's there. not gonna happen. I don't know. Was weird. Now, yeah. now you're just making you're weird. Up. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, hope Paige Bonifaci can save us from this. Uh, he writes in and says, do you prefer having your tools always within reach or do you like keeping everything tucked away unless needed? Do you keep some tools handy and some others in quote unquote cold storage? Um, you know, I think if you have a fairly small shop, most tools are within reach. Uh, you know, I've got my tool wall behind my workbench, so things aren't really that far away. Um, but I do like having things handy. That's one of the reasons why I really like the split top and the Rubo is if I'm doing a lot of chiseling or a lot of hand tool work, I can just kind of throw four or five of the the frequently used tools right there in that little, uh, split in the middle. And they're just kind of right there where I need them. And the blades and the tips of the blades are kind of protected from, from damage. Um, but as far as some of my power tools, let's say there's things that I don't use all the time, like my angle grinders, my carving tools, those I actually do put in cold storage. And by cold storage, I mean a shelf that's 12 inches from the ceiling. So it's like using the vertical space to just get it out of the way. Uh, I do have tools like that. Warm up there, I thought. 
Yeah, probably is. Um, but I put those way at the top, and if I need them, I have to get a ladder. So it's kind of a pain in the butt, but since I only use them a couple times a year, it's something that I, I, I think is okay to put in cold, warm storage. What about you guys? I'm with you. Um, when I redesigned my shop, whenever that was a couple years ago, I pulled a lot of crap out of it um, and put a lot of things into like Rubbermaid tubs and just stack them next door in the laundry room. It's like mm-hmm. the mechanical room of the, the basement um, because there's a lot of stuff, very specific tasks that um, if I do need to do it, I need like all of the little trappings that come with it. Like turning is a perfect example. When I'm turning Christmas gifts, pins and little projects and things, all that stuff lives in its own little Rubbermaid tub. And I pull the whole thing out at Christmas. I pull out the little various and sundry accessories that I need when I'm done, I put it back in and I just get it out of the shop because I just don't use them all that often. Um, my tool cabinet is actually organized that way. Um, where there are certain things that I just don't use all that often, like all of my scratch stocks and scratch stock blades and things like that. They live in a drawer on the bottom of my cabinet. Um, and if I need them, I just pull the whole drawer out and set it on the bench and I can pick out what I need, but there's no reason to have them easily accessible any other time. Mm-hmm. Um, I pull like my Festal track saw is not in the shop anymore. Cause I so rarely use the thing. I use it for breaking down plywood. Well, in my tiny little shop, if I have to break down plywood, that like nothing else can happen because the plywood <laughs> takes up the whole shop. <laughs> so I pull out the track saw, I break down the plywood, I pack it up and put it away. And it's just, out of my way and it's given me so much more elbow room in my shop um, that I didn't have before because it was just packed wall to wall with stuff that frankly I had to worry about is it getting dust on it is it rusting now it's put away in cold storage to use Paige's term and uh, I don't have to worry about it Hmm. cool what about you Matt Mm, well these days your whole shop is cold storage Ah. oh it's heated that's what I'm filming. Right. <laughs> Which is most of the, most of the time. Hey, the, the bandsaw mills in cold storage. It's like, uh, what, what was it earlier? Seven, negative something? Oh, man. Literally cold storage. Crazy. Um, I mean, I guess I have a relatively small shop. I have it all packed in there pretty well. So nothing is really like, I don't really have anywhere else to put things. Mm-hmm. So everything that's my tools and things are going to be out there. Uh, workbench stuff, like like hand tools or whatever that's all up in the hand tool cabinet right there by the bench so it's within reach so it's always out and like even i had the i got the thing with the doors on it the hand tool cabinet with the doors on it. i don't even close the doors anymore not that they close anymore because it's still full but when it did when it was able to close I never closed it anyway so it's always out i'm more like the always out kind of person i guess <laughs> you know that's, that's you know the rumor I mean? it's the rumor it's at that's least the what the police the record says <laughs> That's your new nickname. There you yeah, go. Perfect. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I don't know. Interesting. Okay, so I think that really uh, wraps up the show. Uh, <laughs> Way to end on an awkward note. Very awkward. <laughs> uh, and if you want to support this awkwardness, you can. Go to patreon.com slash woodtalk, and you could sign up for one of the various different levels and uh, have your questions answered on the show. Sort of get priority treatment there if you're a... I believe it's four dollars or higher patreon supporter you could also go to twwstore.com pick up a fancy little t-shirt and go to the itunes store and leave us a review we always appreciate that and uh shannon why don't you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here i'd love to mark okay we appreciate all of you we couldn't do the show without you because we'd have nothing to talk about mm-hmm. and we'd end up just being like 
talking about stuff that would get us in trouble more than likely. <laughs> <laughs> so it's important to have some guidance that's woodworking related from you guys. So please send us your comments, questions, or topic suggestions. You can do it a bunch of different ways. The preferred method du jour is uh, using your voice memo app on your fancy smartphone and emailing that to woodtalkonline at gmail.com or just go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact and leave us a comment on the fancy form there. Um, you could also just go to this particular episode, scroll to the bottom, leave a comment. Find us at woodtalkshow.com. Did I mention that? It's woodtalkshow.com. Um, you also can find us on Instagram at woodtalkshow, Twitter, and yeah, we're even on Facebook. Everywhere. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. I mean, we don't we're, do much with it, but yeah, we are. We're always on Facebook, just not as woodtalk. <laughs> That's right. There is a page and, uh, and I have access to it. But, you know, it's very busy. All right. Well, thank you. uh, What were we going to say? Nothing. Merry New Year. Oh, that. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Except that when the show comes out, it'll be well well past New Year. Year. Don't worry about it. You dummy. Belated Merry New Year. There you go. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.